You're listening to Sermon Audio from Jerusalem Church, an independent Reformed church in Mannheim, Pennsylvania. Our expository preaching ministry is devoted to proclaiming the law and the gospel for the glory of God and the salvation, growth, and comfort of Christ's church. If you'd like to know more about our church, visit us online at JerusalemChurch.net. Here's a message that we hope strengthens your faith and comforts your soul. Well, I mentioned I uh, work in Bangladesh with uh, house church leaders. Bangladesh is a country that is 90% Muslim. And uh, I was there in March teaching on the Holy Spirit, and we got to a lesson on assurance, how the Holy Spirit assures us, we have assurance that we belong to Christ in the Holy Spirit. Well, one of the men in the class had been an imam, that is, he had been the leader of a mosque, perhaps the equivalent of a pastor in, in Christian circles, and I asked him, I said, when you were an imam, if anyone had come up to you, maybe after Friday prayers, and asked you, how do I know that Allah has favor upon me? How can I know? What would you have said as the imam? And his response was a little surprising to me. He said, no one would ever ask that. No one would dare ask that. And then the others chimed in, well, if anyone asked that, they would immediately be branded a troublemaker. You see, Islam has no assurance. There is no assurance that you're right with Allah. That's the whole point. The need to continually try to earn Allah's favor is what keeps you on your toes, what, what makes you work hard to be a good Muslim. The Bible has a lot to say about assurance. Romans 8, 16 to 17, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And that chapter ends, of course, with these famous words, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's no nuance in the Bible. There's no maybe. The Bible gives us, on the front end, assurance that if we trust in him, if we are in Christ by faith, we are in his favor. His favor shines upon us, and we have a certain hope in this life and into the future. Only the Bible, only the gospel, gives that kind of assurance. Not only Islam doesn't give that assurance, nothing else does. I mean, think about it. Roman Catholic, official, the official teaching of the Roman Catholic Church is that assurance is not attainable. That if you say you have assurance that you are going to be complacent and you are arrogant. That's the official teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. My father grew up Amish. My cousin, as a young man, 
He said he was 12 years old when he discovered this. He discovered that Amish teaching is that if you're Amish, you might get in. If you're not Amish, you don't stand a chance. It's, it, it's, it's the Amish way. Now, individual Catholics and individual Amish are, believe better than that, but, but that's, kind of, that's kind of what is taught. Think of our secular faith. If we try hard enough, if we recycle enough, if we use electric cars instead of combustion engines enough, if we develop renewable energy fast enough, we might save the planet. We might not. It might be too late. There's no insurance in that. In fact, again, it's the lack of assurance that makes us try harder so that we might get there. Only the gospel gives assurance on the front end. How do the Ten Commandments begin? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of slavery out of Egypt. The book of Romans, verses chapters 1 to 11, this is what God has done in Jesus Christ. In Romans 12, therefore, in view of God's mercy, present yourselves a living sacrifice. Therefore, here's how you live. You see, in the gospel, assurance, not lack of assurance, assurance is what motivates us to serve Christ with all of our hearts, to glorify him and enjoy him forever. It is because of what is ours in Christ, assured to us in the gospel, that we serve him. So, keep that in mind as we look to Luke 11. Again, we're going to focus on verses 5 to 8, but you'll see that this whole section is about prayer. The, um, in verses one, verse 1, the disciples observe Jesus praying, and if you, if you go through Luke, you see that it talks a lot about Jesus praying. Jesus often goes off by himself to pray, and his disciples see this, and in a rare moment of insight and self-awareness, the disciples go to Jesus. One of them says, Lord, teach us to pray. That's a good place to be. Lord, teach us to pray. No doubt many of us here agree that prayer is natural, necessary, and normal in the Christian life, and yet we struggle to pray, don't we? We say that prayer, along with the Word of God and the sacraments, is a means of grace. It is how God communicates His grace to us. Well, the Word and the sacraments, we can do that. Prayer? Yeah, a little harder. We struggle not only to make time to pray. Martin Luther famously said, I'm so busy today, I have to begin by spending three hours in prayer. Oh! But we also find that as soon as we begin to pray, don't you know that your thoughts wander? Suddenly all kinds of things come rushing in. We struggle to pray. We find that as soon as we begin to pray, our hearts freeze up. It's not that we don't know enough about prayer. We know a lot about prayer but our knowledge is more theoretical than experiential. And so Jesus gives the disciples here a very short prayer. It's it's the Lord's Prayer in Luke. It's a little shorter than what we just prayed together from Matthew. 
And then he gives them this parable in verses 5 to 8. He says, Which one of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he, that is the friend within the house, will answer from him from within, Do not bother me. The door is shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Interesting parable. So in this parable, there are three friends. There is the man whose friend has come to visit unexpectedly at midnight. We'll call him the friend in the middle. And Jesus says, which one of you? You're, you're like that friend in the middle. Then there is the friend who has come to visit at midnight, and that friend needs to be fed and cared for, so we'll call him the hungry friend. And then there's the friend who has the bread. He's the one to whom the friend in the middle turns, and we'll call him the friend with the bread. And if you paid attention to the reading, you'll see that there's something in this story that's bound up with that word impudence in verse 8. Because of his impudence, the friend with the bread will get up and give him what he needs. What is impudence? When's the last time you used that in conversation? Um, Merriam-Webster defines impudence as marked by contemptuous or cocky boldness or disregard of others. It's rude. The Greek word can also be defined as shameless persistence with a lack of sensitivity to what is proper. I'm going to call this obnoxious persistence. It's obnoxious and it's persistent. So let's unpack this. Well, you'll see that the, the friend in the middle is in a terrible bind. You see, friendship comes with certain obligations. Now, these are obligations that we're happy to enter into for our friend's sake, but it does have obligations. And in this case, the friend in the middle has another friend visit him at midnight, and he is required, it is his obligation to house and feed and do whatever he can for his friend who comes at midnight. But it is midnight. And he doesn't have anything to feed his hungry friend. The markets are closed. There's no Wawa nearby in Jesus' day, believe it or not. No convenience stores. Ah, but thankfully, he has another friend. And this friend, he is sure, has bread at his house. And so as late as it is and as inconvenient as he knows it will be, I mean, when's the last time somebody knocked at your door at midnight and asked you for something? Well, as late it is, despite that, he goes and knocks on his door and he explains to him the, the pickle he is in and he asks, can you please give me three loaves so I can feed my hungry friend? That's the story. So, what do these three friends represent? Who's the friend in the middle? Who's the hungry friend? And who's the friend with the bread? Well, as Jesus says, which one of you? Well, we're the friend in the middle. 
We need bread to give to our hungry friend. Uh, who's the, who has the bread? Who's the friend with the bread? Well, that's Jesus. Jesus is the friend with the bread. And our friends who do not have bread are like the visiting friends, the hungry friends. And the bread represents the gospel. I talked about assurance, the assurance that comes from being in Christ. This is the bread. This is what fills us. This is what ultimately satisfies and gives us life. It's the gospel. You see, you and I, who know Christ, who know God's eternal, unending love in Romans 8, we rub shoulders every day with all manner of people, from the Amish family at the roadside stand to the co-worker on the job site or in the office or even on Zoom, to the neighbor walking their dog, maybe to your extended family, to family members. We rub shoulders every day with people who are hungry, friends who have no assurance that anything they do will ultimately last or have any value beyond the paycheck they get from do, doing it or perhaps the, the rush of doing something excitement. But it will not last forever. And certainly, like good Roman Catholics or good Muslims or good Amish people or good secular people, most of those people are not asking that question, how can I know that God has favor on me? That's not a question that people ask. Well, there are those, of course, who if they asked that question would simply say, oh, I'm a good person, so of course God smiles on me. Oh, that's, that's a sort of complacency that we want to avoid, like the French romantic Jean-Jacques Rousseau who famously said, of course God forgives sins, that's his job. There's lots of people who think that way in our world, and you know, they're, they're hungry too. They just don't know it. But in terms of this parable then, you see, each of these friends, each of our hungry friends is indeed starving. They're starving for lack of true bread. They're starving for lack of what you, Christian, have in Christ. So let me just stop at this point and think with me for a minute about a couple of these people that you know, people you know who are in that situation. Think of their faces, think of their names, bring them to mind. Think about your relationship to them. Think about what they're looking for in life to give them affirmation, to have some sense that things are right. One of the mottos of our day is, you do you. Or Fleetwood Mac saying, you can go your own way. And in our culture, of course, we are told that we must affirm each you in whatever you do, right? That's, that's what our culture is about right now. And of course, we realize that marketers are standing by to help you go your own way and do you in their automobiles and their clothing, which of course you need to go your own way, right? No one has enough exposure to, the, to most of the world to really go our own way. We are all going the way that we are influenced to go by our peers, by 
influencers on YouTube or by people around us. We, we're not going our own way. And so we're hungry. And ironically, people in our world, we, we hope to find fulfillment or affirmation. We, we hope to be fed by going our own way, which really is not our own way at all. And in the end, it will leave us empty. Do you believe that? That's why if you're paying attention, you will have heard that one of the biggest crises in our day is loneliness. And that one of the main ways that people try to escape loneliness is through opioids. And so you have deaths of despair. Even the secular world calls them that. Or, in a, in a much older fashion, we live in a world where people pursue wealth, thinking it will fill them. That the accumulation of hobbies and toys will make their lives feel full. It's possible to pursue that. Think of the rich man in the parable, the rich man and Lazarus. It's possible to spend your whole life thinking that the accumulation of wealth and of hobbies and toys will fill you and only when you die to discover that it was empty, that you missed out on real bread, that you died hungry. You know people who are trying those things. So let me ask you, Christian, do you know that in Christ you have real bread? Do you know the assurance? Do you know that having your sins forgiven, being redeemed, having Christ's righteousness imputed to you for your justification, having his spirit work in you out of the adoption, out of being his son and daughter, and working out sanctification, and yes, giving you assurance. Is this real bread for you? Does this really fill you? It should. And that nothing else does? That as, as good as your job is, as good as your possessions are, as good as your family is, as much security as you get from your retirement savings and your hobbies, do you understand that these things are empty in themselves without this real bread? Now, no doubt many of us, myself included, struggle sometimes with assurance. And, and we also look to things other than Christ to fill us. You know, you buy that new car, oh, wow, this is great! In 20 years, it's going to be gone, but right now, it's fabulous. We get a rush out of that. We think that's the greatest thing, but is it going to last? Is that real bread? No. It's going to leave you empty, hungry. But graciously, God reminds us in small and big ways where real bread is. Think of Isaiah 55, 2. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, God says, and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. And so, Christian, you know where the real bread is. I know we struggle sometimes to really think of it as real bread, but you know where it is. 
And you know that many of your friends do not know. What are you going to do? Well, this is where the matter of impudence comes in, of obnoxious persistence in prayer. You see, in this parable, King Jesus tells us that you and I, Christian, we are the link between his bread and our hungry friends. We are the link. In God's providence, you both know your hungry friend and you know the friend who has the bread. The hungry people in your life are not there by accident. They are there by God's divine appointment. And it is your privilege, yes, and your obligation as one who knows where the bread is, to ask the friend who has the bread to give you bread to give to your hungry friends. And to ask that with obnoxious persistence, to be rude and obnoxious in asking that. So how do you begin? Well, let me, let me encourage you to do this. This is something we've done as a faculty in the LI as we have a weekly prayer meeting. Take five of the people who came to mind earlier, five people. Can you think of five hungry friends? And pray for them every day. Every day, pray, Lord Jesus, Tom and Lisa need the bread of the gospel. Will you provide it to them? And will you use me to provide it to them? Jesus says, be obnoxious. Be persistent in this. Take Jesus' word. Jesus says, because of his impudence, that is, the obnoxious persistence of the friend in the middle, he, the friend who has the bread, will rise and give him whatever he needs. You believe that? Notice what Jesus says right after this parable. And I tell you, verse 9, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, I mentioned that there's a dearth of theological training in the larger church around the world. And one of the problems that results of that is the appeal of the prosperity gospel. And they love this verse. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Whatever you need, God will give you if you just ask. Hallelujah. Well, notice the context of this verse. That's not quite, it's not quite what the verse says. It's not a blank check to ask for any of your desires in prayer. God won't give you your heart's desire if it leaves you empty and hungry and if it makes you turn away from him. And he won't give you your heart's desire if it leaves your hungry friends hungry. That's the context here. Jesus says that this asking, this seeking, this knocking is especially on behalf of hungry friends. And Jesus says, the one who asks thus will receive, the one who seeks will find, and the one who knocks will have doors open to them. Do you notice what Paul often asks people to pray for? Like in Colossians 4.3, pray also for us that God may open for us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. That's what you pray for. And in fact, Jesus goes on to show us what the answer to this prayer will look like in verses 11 to 13. He says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil 
You know how to give good gifts to your children. Again, remember that assurance. You're a child of God. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, I asked you a few minutes ago to think of five hungry friends and to pray for them daily. What was your response to that? I have a young man in Bangladesh who was at our training and he wore a t-shirt and it said in Eng on it in English, I'm sorry, did I roll my eyes out loud? <laughs> maybe when I said, think of five friends and pray for them every day, maybe you rolled your eyes, maybe it went in one ear and out the other. Jesus really says, you and I are the link between his bread and our hungry friends. Think about it. Who was the link between his bread and you? There was a person in there. Somebody prayed with obnoxious persistence for you. Think about that. Maybe it was your parents. I think in my case, it probably was mostly my parents. Maybe it was the pastor, a youth pastor, a Sunday school teacher. Somebody prayed for you and gave the bread of the gospel to you. So what does it take to be that link? Well, Jesus knows that for you and I to be the link between our hungry friends and his bread, we're going to need a lot of help. In fact, we're going to need nothing less than the Holy Spirit. So what's going to happen if you pray for your hungry friends every day? The Holy Spirit will give you bread. That's the first thing that has to happen. You and I need the fullness of the beauty and the glory of the gospel in order to have bread to give to others. The Holy Spirit will work that in us. You will begin to seek and knock and ask to pray for open doors to speak about Christ with your hungry friends. Now, I know at first you'll be motivated by guilt. I have to do this. Okay, I'll buckle down and do it. Guilt is a terrible motivator. It works for a while, but in the end it leaves you ultimately hungry. The Holy Spirit will not leave you motivated by guilt. He will make you grow deeper and deeper into the assurance and the beauty of the gospel until the beauty of the gospel and not guilt motivates you to give bread to your hungry friends. You know, we, we love to talk about the things that we love, don't we? If we love the gospel, it will come out of us without thinking about it. So as you pray this, the Holy Spirit will first shape you more and more into the image of Christ. He will, he will make you more courageous. You may be quite afraid. You think of your hungry friends, and there's a couple of them that, man, if I mention the name of Christ to them, they would despise me. But courage, you see, does not mean not being afraid. My wife and I watched Band of Brothers the other night. It came on Netflix. We're like, oh, good, we'll watch it. 
you know, they were all, they all talked about being in World War II. They said all of us were afraid. Of course we were afraid. But they had a job to do. And, and of course you'll be afraid, but courage means having something stronger than the fear to compel you onward through the fear, despite the fear. That's what courage is. And as the gospel becomes sweeter and sweeter to you and more and more compelling, it will become stronger than the fear. Of course, you may pray for your friends and nothing happens. You might say, Lord, I'm asking for a fish and you're giving me a serpent. Instead of an egg, you're giving me a scorpion. I expect, I see there's a couple of gray-haired people here, I expect many of you have been praying for children for a very, very long time, and nothing's happening. Amen? That happens. But then you see, remember, Jesus is telling us what he's really giving us. The answer to our prayer is really the Holy Spirit for us. That is the primary answer to our prayer. In fact, we might say that whatever we ask for from him, he always gives us more of the Spirit. That is, he always gives us more of himself. And he is giving us more of himself so that we can give him to hungry friends. One final thought. The friend with the bread was greatly inconvenienced to give his bread to the friend he says, I have my family in bed with me. Uh, most of you probably don't sleep in the same bed with your families. It's not what we do in America. But you, you see the thing, you know, and, and the friend knocks on his door, and, and uh, he has to get out of bed and all, wakes up the whole family, and, and you can see the kids, Daddy, what's going on? Why is Mr. Jones at the door? Oh, who's the friend who's visiting Mr. Jones? And where's Mr. Jones' friend going? Oh, every whole family's awake. You're never going to get back to sleep, right? Think about the friend on whose door you are knocking and the, his inconvenience to give you the bread. The world that he had made was in need. The world was not asking for him. It was not seeking him. It was not knocking on his door. It did not hallow his name. It did not show any concern for his kingdom to come. The world needed a savior, even though it wasn't asking for it. And so God sent his son into the world and he sent his son to be nailed to a cross so that all who looked on him in faith would be healed, saved, transformed, forgiven, adopted, received the Holy Spirit and be fed with real food. And now God's word says that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all he will also, with Christ, graciously give us all things. Do you believe that? Remember this whenever you think that God doesn't hear your prayers, when it feels like he's distant from you, when you're praying for your hungry friends and they're rejecting you instead of accepting what you have to say. The God who gave his son for you will not withhold from you anything that you need. He came through for you. He provided for you a friend to give you the bread of Christ. 
Brothers and sisters, you may entrust your hungry friends to him. Prayer, again, is a means of grace. The purpose of prayer is that we might receive through it God's grace. The purpose of prayer is not to get God to follow our program. The purpose of prayer is to get us to follow his program. And his program can never fail. Praise be to God. Lord, teach us to pray.